to the Be A Better Ally podcast. I'm Trisha Friedman. It's been a few weeks since our summer series. If you didn't listen to that, our summer series featured a range of educators exploring the ways that if we hope to be LGBTQ plus allies, we need to upskill, we need to level up when it comes to digging in to having perceived difficult conversations. So if that's been on your mind, um, you might want to go back and check out some of our early episodes. But I am so excited about today's conversation. We are speaking with Dr. Lee Ayrton, who is going to be uh, walking us through their most recent book that I am so excited my copy is in the mail and yours should be too. I hope you enjoy today's conversation. So my name is Lee Ayrton. I'm an assistant professor in the Faculty of Education at Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario, Canada. And my role there is an assistant professor of gender and sexuality studies in education, which is pretty great because it means I can do all the time exactly what I would like to do. It's not a very common job title in academia and I'm happy to say it's one that I made myself <laughs> with the support of my, my uh, administration, of course. Um, so yeah, my pronouns are they and them, and I my Twitter handle is quite simply at Lee Ayrton. Uh, thank you so much for that background, and I feel like we'll have to have another conversation about how to have the job, the exact job that you want, because that's that's an interesting <laughs> conversation, of course. Um, <laughs> I don't but, know if I have much to share. <laughs> we can have that. <laughs> well, congratulations on that. I, I actually was really lucky to come across your work, Dr. Ayrton, on Twitter, so thank you for, for sharing it there. And I'm, I'm just super excited about the brand new book that, that you have that just came out last August, if I'm correct. Uh, and mm -hmm. I'm wondering if, if you would just provide a little bit more context, you know, your, your thinking, you know, the ins original inspiration for publishing that mm -hmm. book, um, if you can kind of walk it through the, how, how the book came to be steps. Yeah, you bet. Um, so the book we're talking about is Teaching About Gender Diversity, Teacher Tested Lesson Plans for K-12 Classrooms. And this is a book that I co-edited with my wonderful colleague, Dr. Susan Woolley, who is an associate professor at Colgate University in upstate New York. And the so basically the book is uh, has about 25, I think over 25 lesson plans. Um, but each chapter also has an introductory sort of narrative piece where the educators who created the lesson plans talk about who they are, where they teach, their experience of teaching about gender diversity, and in many cases, their experience of teaching exactly the lesson plan that they are showing. And so that's really the, the thrust of the book and why it has that subtitle of teacher-tested lesson plans, because it's really a book that aims to show any teacher that you can do this. Teachers are doing this. They are integrating gender diversity into their curriculum in a variety of ways, in a variety of subjects and grade levels, and you can too. And the reason why I think, well, Susan just got in touch with me three years ago, because these things take a really long time, and asked me if I wanted to do this, and immediately when we were talking about why it's necessary, we were remembering all of the teachers who get in touch with us um, all the time and ask us for this sort of resource, like ready to use, ready to teach. And we hadn't felt like there were many resources out there that um, did much more than sort of teaching directly about transgender people. And we're interested in how teaching about gender diversity is a broad project um, that can be integrated in different 
in different subjects in different ways. So this is our answer to the call for resources. And they I, are. <laughs> I, I, I think so many educators are going to appreciate that work because, you know, you're right. I, I think in terms of what is something that is ready to just be implemented and activated in the classroom has a lot of value, especially given our current, our current context where teachers have a lot on their shoulders. So oh, yeah. I'm wondering in your process of, of doing the research of, you know, curating, deciding what goes into the book, you know, I, I apologize for the question because I think it's sort of like, what's your favorite song? You know, there, it's hard to know. pick, but That's um, a great question. <laughs> you know, when, when you were doing your research, was there kind of one thing that really stood out to you as, I just can't wait to get this idea, this concept, mm -hmm. this piece of research mm -hmm. out there into the universe, if you had to pick just one? Sure. Well, I think I can answer that question in relation in, a, in a two different ways. The first one is kind of what's a guiding principle about the book that I'm really excited about. And the other one is what are some particular lessons in the book that I'm particularly excited about? I love them all. I don't have favorites. <laughs> we have like, we have like over 30, 35 to 40 authors who are amazing educators who made these lessons for us in the book. Um, but I think well, I'll start there. I think something I'm really excited about is that we have a trio of elementary lesson plans that are for any sort of, in Ontario, we'd say primary, um, so early elementary. And these lesson plans do three very different things that are often done together and confused. So these lesson plans each instruct a teacher on how to run a read aloud. And there's suggestions for books that you could use if you have them. Um, one of the read alouds is quite predictably about trans people. So what is a transgender person through the, through the foil of a child? So obviously most kids books are about kids. So that's one of them. Then one of them is about a gender non-conforming child. So getting kids into um, either the ones who are gender non-conforming or who don't know kids who are very gender non-conforming, um, introducing them to that sort of person. But that's not the same thing as introducing someone to a trans person. Those are different. And we find that that is often collapsed. And then the third of that trio of elementary read-alouds is um, inviting students to think about their own relationships with gender norms. So. What we, what I've noticed in trying to, I'm a teacher educator, so trying to connect my students with resources and find things to teach from is that very often um, we tend to, we find resources and books and things that amalgamate gender nonconformity with transness. And there is, there is a bit of a Venn diagram there in the middle, but quite simply not all transgender people are gender nonconforming. They're very, very, and rightly in their way, gender conforming trans men and trans women and trans girls and trans boys. Um, and so that is something that I think that trio of this is a trans kid, this is a gender non-conforming kid, and this is your open, your pathway to thinking even as a little person, what gender means for you, parsing that out. I'm tremendously proud that those three lessons model that and the importance of having a bit more complexity and how we talk about that stuff even um even in elementary i'm also uh yeah so i'm also really excited about um the ways in which the senior lesson plans involve students in doing research about their own school context um, there's a wonderful lesson plan which is a multidisciplinary equity audit or gen gender diversity and equity audit of your school and you can collect 
quantitative data. You can do interviews, there's surveys, there's, there's sort of um, scans of images and resource materials in the school. And it really gets students involved in thinking who, what kind of space is there for gender here? And what are the experiences people are having here in a way that includes and exceeds any students who are transgender. So it, it's across the book, folks are invited to bring themselves and their intelligence and their creativity to this thing that every student is already thinking about all the time, which is gender and how gender is working around them. You know, and I, I appreciate that last idea. Uh, a former guest that I, I had on the podcast had sort of pointed out and she's a head of school. She had said, you know, I don't know that there is a more gendered space than school. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and I have just been thinking about that ever since, you know, and I, I think you're right, students, children are interacting with it all mm -hmm. the time. And I really appreciate your point about, you know, okay, so if you have these books, then what? Because, you know, unfortunately, mm -hmm. sometimes I have seen where schools think, we'll just add this to the library, <laughs> and then that's it, right? Yeah. We've, we've yeah. done what we need to do. But, you know, of course, that, that's not, that's not it. Um, your book is described as a text to help us authentically integrate rather than just, um, you know, see these conversations as an add-on. And I know that I might have some, some folks who are listening and thinking, what's the difference? For sure. Um, so something, something, and again, this comes out of the experiences that Susan and I have had um, as people doing research and being sort of visible in this area is going for resources and predominantly finding that stuff about um, like gender diversity, first of all, tends to mean trans people. And that is true in many ways. That is a part of the book, but that's not the only thing. So it's a bit more of a complex vision of what that means. Um, but what we find is that gender diversity stuff tends to be um, trans 101. So a lot of like some, like one of the sort of pervasive misconceptions that I have to work through with my teacher candidates every year is that what we are asking you to do is to teach a lesson about trans people, is to teach a lesson, a trans 101 lesson. And so there, there, are, there are some lesson plans circulating in the world and some of them very good that are about trans people, but that's a very different thing and also quite um, subject dependent, maybe social studies, maybe advisory or homeroom, but that is quite um, that is quite sort of hived off and extra to the the ordinary curriculum that teachers are teaching. And so what the lesson plans in this book do is they mobilize gender diversity and gender norms and gender pressures and things that students are every day dealing with and thinking about. And they use that material to teach required content in things like mathematics, in things like drama, in things like science and, um, and social studies. So what we do not have in this book is a collection of Trans 101 lessons. What we have is a collection of subject-specific lessons that teach foundational content through the prism of some aspect of gender diversity and in a way that engages students to think about themselves. And as you're, as you're kind of speaking to that, you know, I'm also thinking about, I've come across a number of educators and, you know, I, to be honest, I felt this way myself too, as a teacher of, can I have these conversations? Is it dangerous for me to have these conversations? Are parents and caretakers going to be upset? Is my principal going to be upset? Um, because I, I definitely, I don't think we're at that point yet. 
where conversations like this have been like usualized across the curriculum. And so I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that I have worked with a number of educators who have said, okay, yeah, it might feel difficult or uncomfortable for me to do this, but it's necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I know, uh, and unfortunately, I feel like I've worked with people who don't quite see it that way. So sure. for folks who are listening and thinking, no, this isn't necessarily, you know, what <laughs> is part of my, my role. I don't know if you've also come across people like that. Um, you know, do you kind of have a response to, to those who are still a little bit hesitant or reluctant to have um, more relevant conversations around identity? Sure. Well, this, I can't really say the book is for people who don't think this is their job. (laughs) (laughs) Like, so I can't speak to those people in relation to the book, but um, in relation to the person who's kind of like nervous Nelly about Mm -hmm. any sort of whiff of taking up the idea that gender is more complicated than masculine man and feminine woman, which is, that is the scope of the book. Um, It's more than, it's more than that. There's more going on than that. Um, For someone who's sort of nervous about doing that where they are, I have some good news for you. Um, The book is, the book has several different entry points into selecting a starting place. So we think uh, that you might build on. So specifically in the elementary um, years, there's ways that the lessons build on each other that are quite evident in the book. But we also invite the reader, um, the teacher to think about what their school climate is like for this kind of work. And based on the vast body of research on how school climate affects um, gender and sexual minority people, most of that is about trans and queer people. There's, there is literature about gender non-conforming people, but that tends to be a little bit more, more narrow. Um, based on that literature, we've created four sort of school climates ranging from this is not a thing to this is a wild and woolly alternative school where everyone's cool and no one cares. Um, So those school climates are associated in the book with with different lesson plans that we we suggest are really good fit for that climate. And then the extensions are good if you're in a if you're in a sort of really positive school and you want to use a lesson plan that might be a good starting place for a school with less exposure. And then you can extend that lesson and bring it up to the place where your students might be. So there's a lot that we recognize, in other words, that um, there is a lot of hesitation, and a lot of concern about how beginning to be a person who has a gender diverse curriculum can be difficult and that where you are matters and the book is is geared towards helping you find what of our offerings is for you for those reasons um we also talk in the introduction which is quite substantial and it's basically our advice so irrespective of which lesson plan these are things we think it's important to consider and one of those things is we know that when a teacher explicitly teaches about something to do with gender or gender or sexuality, the assumption is that they are gay. Um, that, is, that is something that students tend to assume and that gets read. So that is something that for some contexts might be a considerable risk. Not any of the ones that I'm, I participate in that I'm familiar with, I'm happy to say, but there are things to think about um, for teachers. And we do, we do chat about those quite a bit in the introduction. Yeah. I think um, I think another thing I want to say about that is there's all sorts of things, there's all sorts of ways that you can do what I like to call drop nuggets, <laughs> drop little nuggets throughout the day. 
um, that are not, I'm teaching a lesson on this now, that are not at all the kind of thing that any principal would expect you to in any way clear with them before doing so. And most, I would say the lion's share of these lesson plans, that wouldn't, if you took a look at them, that wouldn't occur to you to do either because they're not trans 101. Um, but for example, you can simply offer examples to your students in any context of, with using people who have they, them pronouns. Um, you can read picture books wrong, i.e. by using the wrong quote unquote binary pronoun for someone based on how they stereotypically would be read. There's all, you can ask open questions when a student's like, oh, like uh, uh, my friend's dating someone. I'm like, oh, like what's their deal? And these are little things that aren't anything you would ever clear with anyone before saying or doing. They are less legible, but very significant ways of doing this work and perhaps gauging where your students are at before you might select a lesson. Um, so not everything we do has to be big and has to be a lesson. I say, having just co-edited a book of lesson plans. <laughs> I think, yeah, and I, I, I think it's, it's, it's both, right? It's, it's the big end and the small because, you know, I, I've also seen some schools where they think we're going to have like a week long diversity event or, you know, Ooh. we're going to, we'll have a Great day, time. right. Done. Um, <laughs> we'll have I, a day. <laughs> um, and I would actually say, so, you know, if, if more teachers were sprinkling more inclusive language across the year, that probably would make a bigger difference than just a one-off. Um, oh yeah. Kind of event approach. Sure. Like a teacher uh, sharing their pronouns, mm -hmm. like Mrs. Smith, very, even this Mrs. Smith person goes by Mrs. Smith. Hey, I'm Mrs. Smith. Welcome to my class. My pronouns are she, her. Keep going. That nugget is going to let you know some things. And it's also going to let you know um, who you have with you. And it's going to let them know that you are a person who maybe can have that supportive conversation with them. That is low risk, low fi becoming ever more standard practice and not something you have to clear with anybody. And I've been really happy. I, I feel like I am seeing more and more, you know, across the business sector from primary to high school to university level, more pronouns showing up in email signatures. I don't know if that's been your impression too. Yeah. I, it's been nice yeah, to too. kind of see, okay, you know, more and more people are, are doing yeah. that. Um, I, th I think that's, again, another nice seed um and i, I think it's cool because it, it lets someone like me know that if i tell you my pronoun we're not going to have drama like that's primarily what that means you know it's not like someone telling me it's not like a person who no one has ever misgendered them being like fyi the function of that is to let me know that i can tell you and that is that is a beautiful thing to see from where i'm standing as a non-binary person so teachers, if, if you're listening and you do not have that in your email signature, that is a, you know, like a one minute adjustment that, that you can make. Um, Dr. Ayrton, though, I'm, I'm interested, you know, you were mentioning this idea of schools do sit on the spectrum in terms of uh, how, how their schools are having these conversations, to what extent, at what depth, and, you know, with, with what effect. And I, I also think it's worth pointing out that, you know, I, I love that you brought up the idea of, you know, really digging in and questioning where your school is at on that spectrum, because I unfortunately have also had that experience where, um, you know, I, I've been leading a workshop or, a, you know, a session and the admin have said something like, it's not even an issue here. Um, Whoa, and, <laughs> got news uh, for you. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and again, I, I think it's, it's, 
it's an issue everywhere, right? But I'm wondering in, in some of those audits, is there one question that kind of stands in your mind that you wish more school leaders, more superintendents, curriculum coordinators, if they were just to think about one of the questions on the audit, um, is there one, mm. one that you, you know, for the person who's like, well, I, don't, I don't think it's an issue here. I think it's, you know, everything's golden. Right. Well, I think, I don't know if I can think of a particular question from the gender audit lesson plan, but what I will say is what I want all those folks to keep in mind and what might be a useful thing to respond with um, is how important it is to teach and to think about your school climate as if there are already queer and or trans people here. There are already people with queer and or trans family members in our school. There are already people who we may never know. They may not know this quite, much, quite so clearly about themselves right now, but who may come to know themselves as queer and or trans. So that is a 360 because it requires folks to think that there's things we must do now and we cannot wait for the one person who I legibly will think is a trans child or a queer child or, or two moms or two dads or whatever. So what I say back to that kind of proclamation is what we must do is remember that people are here. If you have a trans student who is out in your school, be honored. Be honored and delighted because you have 15 who would never tell you. Right? Or if you have, if you quote unquote, have no trans students in your school, the add on to that is that you know, and then do not be honored because statistically you should. So if you do not have any quote unquote, that is actually a sign that this school is not a place that our people feel they can bring themselves out to. Um, so not having any problem with that here is not something to be proud of. It's a sign that folks who are here are not letting you know what it's like. So that is a starting place. And that, that, is, that flip um, of what that statement is saying, I have found to be quite, quite a head, sort of a head cocker. You know, like quite a, quite a reframing that helps out. So if that's useful to any of your listeners, um, I, I invite you to try that out and see if that can change the conversation a little bit. I, I love that. And, you know, I, I think there's a, a lot of conversation around the idea of a school being welcoming. So that, that kind of question of, okay, so who is our school welcoming to, but also who are our students learning to welcome? Oh, so, yeah. you know, kind of also seeing it as, are we cultivating upstanders? Because that's, you know, hopefully we're doing that for every single student. Um, but I, I really love that reframing. Thank you for sharing that. And I know that you've been doing this work for a long time. You know, the, your recent book that came out, uh, it's not the first piece that you have published. And I'm wondering <laughs> if you have a sense, you know, do you think that schools are starting to do a better job? Do you feel like you're seeing um, a shift? I do. Okay, good. Because I was like, it's going to be really, really depressing do. if you're, no. <laughs> no, I absolutely do. I've been probably working, I've been involved in in some way in teacher education, pre-service or in-service. Oh my goodness. At least I would say for at least 12 years on this topic. And what I can now tell you 
Well, I can tell you first that we know that folks who come to teachers college to become teachers, uh, research has shown us that many of those people disproportionately loved school or they at least liked school. So that's a statistic to think about in and of itself if you know how unrepresentative the teaching profession is of the general population. Massively skewed white, massively skewed middle-class, massively skewed cisgender and straight. So that alone is information about our schools. However, so that's kind of the bad news. The good news is that I have more and more and more trans spectrum folks coming here. Um, to be teachers, more queer people, more trans people, and most interestingly, perhaps, well, that's that's data on the fact that these people can now tolerate the idea of going back to school as teachers. Mm. Mm. That is magical. That is absolutely magical. So that's number one, and that is like something I something precious and beautiful that I. That's what I want to facilitate. That's that's ha all hands on deck for me, making sure we can help that person to have a teacher education experience that means they do they feel that way at the end. <laughs> so that's part of the tough job um, of teacher ed too. But um, yeah, we have more of those folks, which is amazing, and we also have um, a shocking rise um, in the just knowledge and exposure of the everyday straight cis teacher candidate to trans and queer people. So um, an example about 10, about, oh, let's be honest, about maybe seven years ago, I started asking my students, like, have you ever met somebody um, who uses gender neutral pronouns or have you ever shared your own pronouns? Um, put your finger on your nose. 10% this year, second year in a row, over 90. Wow. And I'm talking a class of classes of 300 people. Wow. So Right. So it's just the amount of exposure and, you know, attitude research has shown us if you know a queer or trans person, then you are more likely to express less homophobic attitudes and transphobic attitudes like the change that is coming and is here is incredible. So I do know I get to know firsthand that a, this is an incredible shift. And it's just underway and it's it's unstoppable. And I'm so excited to be part of that. And do you have any sort of hunches around, you know, to what you would attribute that shift or that momentum? Oh, Where yeah. do you think that's coming from? Absolutely. I mean, the idea that in most places in Canada, a student coming up in K-12 can go to a GSA. Like if they can't go to a GSA, they can access a local community-based place where they can meet folks like them and learn that what they're experiencing isn't their fault if they are having a really horrible time at school. Um, so either they have access to a GSA, um, they have access to spaces that are supportive, or they have access to incredible resources like the Kids Help Phone that are incredibly queer and trans positive, um, that are all online. We also have kids so much more involved in virtual community and virtual friendship networks. And those like queer and trans kids are like the, are like the, the kings and queens and other royal people of finding community online. So the idea that what's wrong, what is happening to me that makes my life at school difficult, the idea that that's actually not me, that's my school, that's something that our young people increasingly have more and more access to. And that drives some of them to teacher education to try to fix it, which is amazing. I always try to reel them into grad studies, but maybe after they've taught for a bit, but maybe not. Like, I just want to reel them in anyway, so you can have more and more people out there with the credentials and becoming leaders and yada, yada. Um, but yeah, I also, these people are the people who came up knowing that about themselves, that they're not the problem. And so they are 
they're relying on that and coming here to be with us. And that's beautiful. And, and Dr. Ayrton, I'm, I'm wondering if you could just speak a little bit more about the role, about, you know, again, the significance that having a GSA can play in a school, because many of my listeners and, and some of them are subscribers to my newsletters, I've had a lot of responses saying, you know, my school doesn't have a GSA or, you know, again, sometimes they're called something else or a GSA like group. I want to start one, but my principal or my line manager isn't sure of what the parent or the guardian community reaction will be. So we don't know if we're going to be able to have them. I'm trying to convince them that it's necessary and I'm struggling to do that. Um, Right. and, And I'm just wondering if you would like to share an anecdote or your thoughts on why they are, um, you know, as pivotal as we're saying they are. Oh my goodness. Oh, so many reasons. And, and I want to take the first part of your question first is that the ability of a school leader to tell you whether or not this club may start is only a matter of law and policy. So I know, I imagine your podcast has listeners in across North America, but very often folks who are resistant to this to to change and to different kinds of equity stuff will just front that something isn't allowed or must go through a process when actually it does not so if you aren't if you are receiving a bit of pushback from administration uh, wherever you are in canada or united states just make really sure that that person is giving you correct information because it could be the case for example in ontario it's now part of our education act that you if it, if a student requests the club you must have it and you may not call it a euphemistic title mm. it's in the oh law. that's interesting i didn't know that about the yeah. title that's that's really interesting yeah, so it's not like respecting diversity club. It's the right. genders and sexualities alliance, or some folks still like to use the phrase gay straight alliance. Whatever works for them. So um, you may not counsel students into having a weekly titled, um, a you know, watered down version of this. No, this is what it is. That's actually in the Education Act, and yet I still, um, which is really important for signaling that this is a space where there are there is our resources and teacher time and things devoted to having this space for you. It's vitally important that things have that name because it signals that to everyone. It doesn't just give a space to the people who need it. Um, but I still hear from teachers who let me know that like, oh, their administration doesn't want to be called that. I'm like, it doesn't matter. Look at the text of the law. So if your administrator is giving you this pushback, you go to the superintendent with the text of the law because that's what that it says. So just, we can be nervous. We can wonder about how this is going to go as teachers, but in most, in many places where your listeners might be, this is a matter of settled law. So um, that's one thing I want to say, but yeah, I think I want to just emphasize the two-sided work that the, that, or that group does in a school. Um, our youth need respite from the ordinary life of school. They need spaces where they can go and relax, where there is a fighting chance that other people will receive information they share about themselves in a way that is fine, Um, where they can find other people who share things they're going through, and perhaps not most importantly, but also very importantly, where they can have access to one supportive adult. Um, One supportive adult is the difference statistically um, in relation to queer and trans youth resilience and thrival or not. Um, And for many of our kids, that is a person who's in the school. It's not a person who is at home. So there is absolutely 
no daylight here. This is very, very important um, that this be in the school to show people that this is valued and that this be resourced and that this exists for the kids themselves. Um, if for whatever reason, um, hopefully you've gone down all these paths I've talked about and braided you about, but um, if, uh, if still no, what you can always do is you can make your, you can make your room the unofficial GSA so you can be sharing your pronouns, whether you're queer or trans or not. You can have a binder that any student can access at any time, whether they walk in out of the hall and they're your student or not, that has local resources about stuff they need to know, that has online stuff. You can mention this all the time. You can say like, folks are welcome to come to me if they need something. I have information I can share it with you. Like, even if you, if for whatever reason the club is blocked, you can you can be that person. You can let those kids eat lunch in your class. You can get to know the ones that you know might be part of this community, and you can invite them there, and you can invite them to bring friends, and you can do a DL download GSA. Drop microphone. <laughs> and I, I, you know, I, I think what you were saying earlier about just some of even the the signaling of including pronouns, thinking about the books that are in your classroom, thinking about the examples that you use, all of those things have such power. And I, I know Dr. Ayrton, we're almost out of time. And I, I wanted to point out your, your website goes into some of the advocacy work that, that you have done. And you know, I'm guessing that your current book is not necessarily going to be your last. So folks who are listening- Oh, I don't think so. <laughs> Folks who are listening and, you know, they, they not only want to learn more about your current book, but they also want to be able to kind of track and find out what's what's coming next. Where mm -hmm. can we go to continue to learn from you and, um, you know, again, just leverage the, the very powerful work that you're doing. Right on. I appreciate the question. Um, you can I, I'll be I'll tweet stuff. So if you want to follow me, I'm at Lee Ayrton on Twitter. Um, I will always put out things that I'm doing through that platform. Uh, you can check out my website, which is www.leeairton.com. And on there, you'll find a link to the No Big Deal campaign, which is a really pretty, <laughs> um, mostly visual campaign with lots of free downloadable Creative Commons licensed materials that just help folks show their, I'm cool with this support. It's no big deal for folks, um, for trans people's right to have our pronouns used in everyday life. Lots of stuff there. You can go print, you can make buttons, you can do posters. We got a lot of things on there of resources for having those conversations with people who are pushing back. Um, lots of stuff there too. Um, you can also find my now archived, but still totally intact. They is my pronoun.com website, which is, has all kinds of um, help for people who are trying to navigate pronouns in everyday life. Um, the best of that, I think I put into my recent book, gender your guide, which came out in 2018. Um, but yeah, coming up, I'm, I'm in the middle of, of creating a giant resource that will help K-12 students to self-advocate or help loved ones of those folks to help them self-advocate um, for gender expression, their gender expression human rights to be protected in school. Um, so that's been a thrust of my research for the past little while. I think a lot of people are correct in knowing what gender identity is and how that might affect human rights, but gender expression is a separate category of protection that's usually categorized along with gender identity to make people think it's just for trans people. Well, it's not. So we are creating a web, like a resource hub that will offer people 
things they can bring to school, ways to um, participate in dicey conversations with administrators and keep correspondence and basically act like a little lawyer um, and just really let people know you mean business and that this is a human right you have that is not being respected in ways schools don't yet quite understand. Mm -hmm. So that is going to be, that's hosted by a unicorn named Gigi, which is a little nugget I'll drop there. And we should be probably putting that out at the, in the new year. It's going to be wild. So I will definitely be tweeting about it if you want to follow me. That sounds fantastic. And of course, we'll make sure to link to your site and your Twitter handle because um, you know, I was amazed just sort of in looking around at your website for five minutes, just how inspired I felt. So thank you so much, Dr. Ayrton, for your time today. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. So nice to speak with you. And hello to everybody who's listening. <laughs> and again, we'll also, of course, link to, to Dr. Ayrton's books. So get them, demand that your library has them. These books should also be in our professional development libraries on our campuses. Thanks again, Dr. Ayrton. My pleasure. I'm honored. Take care. Thank you.